0: This episode of For Real is brought to you by the podcast Borrowed. If you're looking for another great podcast for book nerds, check out Borrowed from Brooklyn Public Library. It's a narrative podcast about superhero librarians, Brooklyn neighborhood stories, and what it means to be a free, democratic space in a changing world. Just search for Borrowed in your podcast app of choice or on the web at bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukara. We're recording on Thursday, October 22nd.
1: Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are
0: you today? I'm like actually pretty swell if you ignore the (laughs) the general
1: state of the world. I feel like that's always my, my kind of caveat. Yeah, how how are you doing? That's funny you said that. I was, I don't remember if it was like a group of coworkers or a friend or something who they were talking about basically like the best any of us can be right now is like a B, probably, you know? So you can talk about like how tough things are, or whatever. But your cap of possible like happiness is we're never all going to be great. But we can be great in the context of the world.
0: I always want to be like, how are you doing given the circumstances? <laughs> <laughs> given the
1: circumstances. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I'm doing okay. We had Minnesota. I'm going to talk about snow like every podcast from now until April, probably. But uh, it's October and we had measurable snow on the ground for so it's still there. And it was like record for the earliest to snow, not the earliest snow, but this much snow this early in October, which feels just like the most 2020 of possible weather patterns. So I've been a little, uh, a little distressed and perturbed by the snow, but we persist.
0: Can I tell you, I was jealous. Uh, I have so many friends in Minnesota, and they were all posting the snow on Instagram, and I was like, "Why no. aren't we getting snow?" So I'm, no. I'm,
1: so- <laughs> I'm really mad at you right now. <laughs> We just should stop right at this moment because I don't have anything to say. We just got
0: a lot of rain. It was really disappointing.
1: (laughs) Do you want to move into follow-up? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Let's just move on before we we fight on the podcast. (laughs) Weather fight! Okay, go on. (laughs) So last week in the reading now section, we both talked about reading The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Uh, which is fiction and fantasy, uh, and I finished it, and I absolutely adored it. It was so great. Um, so I know you haven't finished it, but I'm excited that you're reading it because it was real good. Yeah, um,
0: I like the beginning. I am, as of this year and and probably previous years, I am reading, like, 10 books at the same time because I can't commit to any of them, and um, they all have, like, different interesting things about them. So um, hashtag Gemini. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, Oh, the other, the other bit of follow up um, that we got to mention, we have a holiday gifting episode coming out. So what this means is, if you want to send us like, oh, I have a friend, relative, whoever in my life who I want to get a book for, preferably nonfiction, because that's all we're going to talk about how like here are other things they like can you recommend a book we will do that for you um so if you send in your question with again like the types of books that the person has liked or other interests they have send those to us at forreal at bookriot.com by friday november 13th that is friday the 13th and we will uh we'll do our best to get those answered for you
1: Yeah. The other sneaky part of this that you could do if you wanted is ask for book recommendations for yourself that then you could put on your own holiday gifting list.
0: That is sneaky.
1: You know, if you if you don't want to give books to other people or (laughs) just an idea. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, I think I think that that's uh, that was very clever, Kim. And I approve of it. (laughs) So let's move into our first sponsor for the episode. Speaking of clever, okay. The uh, Limerence imprint of Oni Press, they have a new release, a quick and easy guide to consent So how do you tell someone that you want to do stuff with them? And how do you ask if they want to do stuff with you? Uh, Enter Sergeant Yes Means Yes from the Consent Cavalry, a beacon of clarity in a fuzzy minefield of questions. Sarge drops in on a diverse range of folks deciding whether to engage in sexual activity in this short and fun comic guide, because Oni Press primarily, I believe, publishes comics to communicating what you want, what you don't want, and how you want it. So find a quick and easy guide to consent, along with the rest of the inclusive and informational quick and easy series available now from Oni Press. Again, that is a quick and easy guide to consent. Thank you for sponsoring.
1: Excellent. That's a really good one. All right. So we will uh, get into our first segment, which is nonfiction in the news. And there's been kind of a lot of nonfiction-adjacent news in the last couple of weeks. So we actually have three stories to quickly mention. My first one that I'm going to talk about is about uh, Bill Bryson, who is a well known and well regarded nonfiction author. And he said in an interview that he plans to retire from writing. Uh, So, the story we'll link to is from The Telegraph. He mentions that he is 68 years old and he told Times Radio that he has been treating retirement as an experiment and it has been successful and I'm pretty likely to continue. So, I don't know. I just see yeah, 68, I guess, is like an age for retirement. But I feel like authors like write for so long that it surprises me whenever a writer like is very official in stating that they plan to retire. Do You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just. Well, my
0: my dad is 80 and he's still like doing stuff with engineering. So, yeah, I feel like hmm. 68 also feels like really young to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, have old, I have old parents, but I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he finds writing a chore. Indeed. In which case, that's fine. His oh, I was gonna say his books are sometimes a chore, but that's me. <laughs>
1: yeah well i think it's funny because i i thought that actually that you liked bill bryson and i'm not a super huge fan like i like his nonfiction, but i don't particularly like his travel writing so when he announced this i was kind of like oh well that's fine but i know lots of people do really like bill bryson so that's just a, a me problem more than anything i think
0: i liked his book 1927 it was like it's one summer 1927 where he covers a lot like a bunch of things happened that like during those months and um, that book was really interesting. I have found some of his other books really difficult to get into. So I think it, as with a lot of authors, it just depends on the book that you pick. Mm-hmm. Oh, another news item that we have, Eva DuVernay is a back in the director's chair for Cast. So this is the Netflix adaptation of Isabel Wilkerson's very recent um, bestseller. And Kim, have you, didn't you talk about this on the podcast?
1: I did. I read a chunk of it uh, to talk about it for new books, and then uh, my brain has not been able to keep going with it, even though it is very good and actually not that hard to read. But it's it's a really interesting book, just about different systems that have shaped our the United States and how hierarchy works in different ways. Uh, it's fascinating. I'm curious how it's going to be. A f- I'm curious how it's going to be a film, actually. <laughs> Is it – so when they're saying an adaptation,
0: do they mean like – because she also did 13th for Netflix, Mm -hmm. which is is a documentary. So is it – are they saying it's going to be like a a narrative or is it going to be more documentary-ish? That's not clear.
1: Yeah, the article from Deadline we'll link to is by Amanda Naduka and it's not super clear in it how if it's going to be more of a documentary or i mean i assume it has to be a documentary i don't know how you would make it into a fictional thing but yeah i think it'll be it'll be interesting okay oh and la-
0: lastly we debated mentioning this but so listeners might be aware that uh, the new yorker has suspended a uh, writer jeffrey Tubin after a sexually inappropriate incident at work on Zoom. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up is I have personally recommended some of his books before. And while individual incidents do not necessarily make up an entire person's character it becomes increasingly difficult to recommend the works of men because I feel like invariably something like this ends up happening. And then I am like, oh gosh, because I have like wholeheartedly talked about what great people or writers they are. I don't know. Kim, do you have any follow up to that?
1: Yeah, same. I've had his book, I don't know that I've read any of his books but I've I've had, I have at least one on my shelf right now because he writes a lot about legal issues in the Supreme Court and like I find those things very interesting. But man, it's just like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, and we're uh we're linking an article about it in case anyone wants to learn more. Uh from the New York Times by uh Johnny Diaz and Azie
1: Peibara. Yes. So anyway, nonfiction news, some good stuff and some gross stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we move on from there. All right. So our our next regular segment is new nonfiction, which is nonfiction coming out recently or soon that we are excited about and want to recommend. So my first pick is super nerdy, and I am very jazzed to talk about it. And it is called A Place for Everything: The Curious History of Alphabetical Order by Judith Flanders. My um, almost book came out October twentieth from Basic Books. And it is a history of alphabetization from how it was used and formed even before the very famous Library of Alexandria all the way to modern technology and websites like Wikipedia and how alphabetizing evolved and is currently used. So interestingly to me, so the alphabet was sort of developed in a bunch of different places, but the modern alphabet that we understand and know really comes from just sort of one area. And it took about 3,000 years after the alphabet like really was created before anyone thought to use it as a way to organize things. Like previously, they would organize things, like lists of stuff based on like what material it was made out of or how it was used or... No. Yeah, really like <laughs> idiosyncratic stuff. And it took thousands of years before people were like, oh, the alphabet, that might be a way for us to organize this in a way that makes sense, which just blew my mind because alphabetization is like the most basic way we organize anything now so um, I thought that was really interesting so the book talks about how like alphabets evolved and then how alphabetization evolved, how it went from just being like anything that started with the letter C you could put every word that started with C in any order you wanted and it would be considered alphabetized and it took a while for it to get to like the first two letters and then the first three letters and that kind of system, and how it kind of evolved from there and so talks about people who impacted the way alphabetization worked, like George Washington, and then um, how some of that has evolved over time. So uh, there's a really fascinating section in there about the opening ceremony of the Olympics, which pretty famously, when the Parade of Countries comes in, is done in alphabetical order. And for a really long time, that was done out uh, al- like the English alphabet alphabetical order. And it wasn't until, uh, I think, South Korea, where they used a different alphabet to decide what the alphabetical order should be. And it threw everybody off because nobody could figure out, no English speakers primarily could figure out, like our English alphabet language users, I guess is more accurate, could figure out when their country was going to come up because the alphabetization was so different because it was using a different alphabet system. So just stuff like that where you sort of... (laughs) don't think about how ingrained alphabetizing is in the world today and then thinking about how weird things must have been before. So it's a whole book just about that. Uh, The chapters are also the chapter titles are alphabetized, which I think is hilarious. And I loved that. So this is a book that was a little on the drier side, I would say, but um, I really was enjoying reading it. So I would, if this is a topic that's interesting, I think this will be a fun book for people to pick up. So that is A Place for Everything, The Curious History of Alphabetical Order by Judith Flanders. Does it talk about the origins of the alphabet song? Not in the part that
0: I have read. Oh, I really hope it does. Because I was thinking recently, would we all know the alphabet as well as we do without the alphabet song? And who created it? I should look this up. That sounds really super nerdy. So great pick for that. And I don't know, I'm interested. And I'm shocked that people would organize things based on the material out of which yeah. it was made. How many options were there? Was it like
1: wood and clay? Like, I don't, uh, I don't get it. Well, mostly it was that like, whoever was organizing the thing would pick their own organizational system. And so nobody was using the same kind of organizational system. So that was just one example, right, of, like, some guy who was trying to organize, like, I think types of tools or something like that. And so the way that they chose to do that was not, like, by the first letter of the name of the tool, but by, like, these are all the tools made of this thing, and these are all the tools made of this thing, and that's how oh. they put their, like, index of tools together. And so different different people organizing different things would pick different systems, but Like, nobody – like, you wouldn't know what anybody else's system was because they were just doing it their own way.
0: That's like when you come into a new job and you're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how your predecessor –
1: like, where they put everything because everyone's got their own kind of filing system. Yes, it's exactly like that except everything in the whole world. That's very stressful.
0: And within that filing system, no alphabetization, so even worse. Um, okay, my first new release pick is The Fangirl's Guide to the Universe, a handbook for girl geeks by Sam Mags. Sam Mags has done a, let's say, written a plethora of geekish books. And this is kind of an update to The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy. So if you have that already, this, this has a lot of similar stuff. So she talks about fandom, pop culture, feminism, cosplay, conventions, which, oh gosh, I was just watching something where they were talking about a convention. Oh, it was um it was Shit's Creek the show. They were at a con- soap opera convention and I was like, "Oh gosh, I miss conventions so much. <laughs> They're so fun." Okay, anyway, so it talks about that. This obviously this is why I chose this book. It's uh ugh. vlogs, OTPs, which I remember when that term became popular by the way, not to just go off on a rabbit hole, but RPGs, MMOs, like it goes into basically all the the various areas of of geekery, nerdery, and uh, tells you also like things like advice, such as how to make nerdy friends, and how to do cosplay, which I would really like to learn because I always, when I go to these conventions, I'm so impressed by people who do cosplay. It's such a skill, and it's amazing. Anyway, um, how to write fanfic, also very useful. A lot of people who write fanfic have gone on to great actual like oh, I was gonna say actual publishing world acclaim I am not denig- denigrating fanfic what I'm saying is they have made a lot of money and then how to defeat internet trolls how to attend your first con so if you've never gone to a convention and you're like oh, I don't really know what it's gonna be like it gives you a little guide for that there are also, in this edition, um, interviews with uh, people like Danielle Page, Rainbow Rowell, Preeti Cheeber, and it just, it really talks about how great the fandom community is and has um, a feminist take on, you know, this world that for a very long time was very dominated by men. So uh, it's just, it's like a little, I was going to say a little ball of light <laughs> within <laughs> this dark world. Um again that is The Fangirl's Guide to the Universe, a handbook for girl geeks by Sam Mags.
1: That sounds so delightful and like a great thing for nerd girls, like something that I could imagine wanting to just like make yourself feel less uncomfortable in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, my second pick for new books is uh What Would Frida Do? A guide to Living Boldly by Ariana Davis. Um, this book also came out October 20th. For, uh, it's from Seal Press, and it is a, quote, contemporary guide to life, love, and happiness inspired by the extraordinary artist Frida Kahlo. So um, this book is not a Frida biography, but rather a book that takes her story and personality and work and legacy and tries to put it kind of in context and then ask what kinds of lessons can we learn from all of those things about Frida. So there are chapters looking at confidence and what lessons we can learn from her, creativity, sex, friendship, all that that kind of stuff. And then it uses the author's kind of her own experiences and her connections to Frida, her kind of personal interest in her and her biography and how those things kind of all connect together. And so when I started it, it was... It was a little bit more personal than I expected, but I liked that part of it. Like I liked hearing – from. so I don't know a lot about Frida Kahlo um, other than kind of like the very big broad strokes of her story. So it was really fun and interesting to read the personal experience of someone who, who had a connection to her who, or felt connected to her in some way and like understand why she's such a significant figure for so many people. The book opens with this very funny story about the author, Ariana Davis, going to see Frida's house in Mexico, which is now a big tourist attraction. And so, kind of going into the garden and sitting on a bench and kind of trying to have this like meditative experience of like channeling Frida. And then she gets interrupted by uh, this woman who is like clearly an Instagram influencer trying to like take an, an influencer picture. And then, this group of Japanese high school tourists who come and are like wearing Frida Kahlo t shirts and stuff um and I I I don't know something about that was really funny and like how many different people have these connections to her as an artist and a person and the book really kind of explores all of those different facets so I was reading this as a digital book so I I it was hard to kind of see but I think it in the print will have a lot of like sidebars and these illustrated pages with quotes and lists and some of that stuff um so I think it is going to be a really like beautifully well-produced book although like as an ebook, it was kind of hard to tell But I just thought it was really, it was really fun. Um, And just, I love books that let you see the world kind of through someone else's perspective. And you get to really understand why someone admires or loves something that you yourself like don't have a lot of expertise in. And that's what I felt like this book was for me and Frida. And so I loved being in that space with the author, Ariana Davis. So the book is What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly by Ariana Davis.
0: Well, that sounds really nice. I just ordered a bigger tablet so that I, I'm hoping that, like, uh, mm-hmm. digital book art will be easier to see that way. Um, did you see the movie Coco? No, I
1: haven't seen it yet.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Um, sorry for <laughs> general uh, exclamatory whatever burst. Uh, Frida Kahlo has a, a role in that. She's sort of, oh. well, you know, someone, someone playing her, obviously. But, like, uh, she cameos in the afterlife. And Ooh. it is both hilarious and great. That sounds awesome. I just rewatched Coco. It's so good. Okay, my next pick is "Finding Latinx: In Search of the Voices Redefining Latino Identity" by Paula Ramos. Paula Ramos worked in the Obama administration. Kim, so but I, 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 I did not know that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Yeah, thought I would just drop that in there. So, <laughs> what this is about is that, um, especially in this newest generation. Young Latinos across the United States are uh, redefining their identities, awakening politically, right? We've definitely been seeing that in the news. And then many of them, so like Afro-Latino, Indigenous, Muslim, queer, undocumented, just across America are these voices that have been overlooked because when talking about – there are about 60 million Latinos living in the United States – I feel like in general, they're sort of talked about as a as an en masse kind of grouping, right? Well, it'll uh-huh. be like, oh, how does the Latino vote? Like, feel about this. And you're like, well, it, that's very different. <laughs> like, <laughs> you gotta break that down. So Paula Ramos sort of saw this and also was very interested in the term Latinx because as a queer person, she always felt like the, the term uh, Latina or like Hispanic, especially because of its you know um, colonial roots, didn't uh, really encompass like she didn't feel a connection to that term, and so Latinx was kind of a, a grasping on point, uh, if you will. But it is of course a very controversial term as well. A lot of people say that it's predominantly used by non Latino community, and so in this book, which again let me find the title, Finding Latinx. Uh, She decides to go find it. And so she goes across country from west to east and talks to uh, indigenous Oaxacans in Oaxaca. upstate New York and uh Las Posadas in Texas and musicians in Milwaukee and drag queens and environmental activists and farm workers and just like Kim and I were talking right before about how it seems like there are a fair number of books coming out recently about these like cross-country tours uh-huh. uh where people just like get in a car or I am assuming it's a car. I always picture them in a car because of the <laughs> great American road trip novel when they're like I traveled from here to here and just like interviewing people in these towns and I think it's when when I hear them do it, I'm always like, oh, I, I kind of want to do that. In the same way that when I hear about people going on road trips, I'm always like, oh, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> so um, for that reason, along with um, kind of how she goes into one of the things, because this book was just published, but, you know, all of the you can't do this kind of road trip right now. Or mm, if you do, uh-huh. it's it's not safe. So one of the things that she says in the in the intro is that a lot of the profiles that she interviewed for this book ended up becoming COVID-19's biggest victims because it is especially affecting black and brown communities. I can say, especially um, in Chicago, like we've, that's been definitely noted. So, um, so sort of like tying it in, you know, with what's going on right now. But um, something I didn't know, I thought was really interesting, was that the term Latinx started um, popping up around like 2004. Really? Which, Yeah. So, like, a lot longer than um, than I thought it had, but it was it was originally coming up in online communities of queer Latinos. So, it was very, yeah. you know, hence the whole, like, um, using X to uh, be like, I, you know, I don't want to fit in with a gender binary mm-hmm. and, like, welcome gender nonconforming folk in. And so, like, talking about that and then also her conversations with people around the country, it's just, it's very interesting. So... If you're interested in interesting books, again, that is Finding Latinx in Search of the Voices Redefining Latino Identity by Paula Ramos.
1: Yeah, I like concur. I, I started this one and I was really into it. I and like you said, the like sort of road trip, cross country, snapshot kind of book right now is really fascinating. Um That might be a future episode idea since there are so many of them and, like, they're coming at it from lots of different ways.
0: (gasps) Road trip books.
1: That's true. Yeah, Yeah. right? Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up new books with just a couple of other quick mentions of books that we've talked about in our – Fawn on Fiction Preview that are out now that you might be able to grab. So the one I wanted to mention is Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books bound in human skin by Megan Rosenblum. And I feel really weird being excited about that book, but it sounds (laughs) fascinating.
0: It does. Um, And I wanted to mention again, uh, Shit Actually, the definitive 100% objective guide to modern cinema by Lindy West. It's out now. Uh, It's so funny. And again, a whole essay on the movie Face Off. Like, what else do you need? Um, Kim, you – I understand you have started this book? I did on audio. It's great. It's so good. Is it Lindy West reading it? Yes. Perfect.
1: Very fun. All right. So um, our second sponsor for this week's episode is Nothing Like I Imagined by Mindy Kaling. So, uh, from New York Times bestselling author Mindy Kaling comes a new collection of six hilarious and personal essays. Mindy gives the inside scoop on her new role as a single mom, the perks of being her own husband, and how she deals with social anxiety even at the most glamorous A-list parties. In between, the beloved actor, writer, producer, and Hollywood power bruncher gets Kanye Wested at her best friend's birthday, thwarts an only-in-L.A. crime, and learns what it means to have it all. Read nothing like I imagined at Amazon.com slash Mindy. So this is uh, this collection is Mindy Kaling at your funniest and most confident. It is a collection of six short essays published by Amazon Original Stories. And Prime members can read or listen for free. So you can find that at Amazon.com slash Mindy. Uh, and I love Mindy Kaling, so hooray. Okay,
0: quick, quick note on that. Can I say I am mm-hmm. so stats obsessed in terms of reading that I was like, oh, I'm so excited about these essays. But also, can we combine them into a novella? size book <laughs> so that I can count it as one of my books for the year.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But they sound really, really good. Indeed, yes. Alright, so uh this week's podcast theme is uh Mary Shelley and the book Frankenstein because it is almost Halloween and we want to do something monstery and we haven't ever done we have talked about Mary Shelley and Frankenstein a few times, but we've never done like a deep dive into the book and the author. So Alice, give me your your opening thoughts on Mary Shelley and Frankenstein.
0: Mary Shelley, really weird, but I'm interested in her. Very weird. Very weird. Yeah. More a fan of her mom. But uh, Frankenstein, more boring than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna put that
1: on the jacket.
0: (laughs) The monster was much more eloquent. Than I expected, based on popular depictions, uh, based on Indeed. again the uh, I think the Boris Karloff movies from the <laughs> '30s, and every now and then there was a a good part. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I say, <laughs> I say all this with love because I know how much you love this particular book, which is why we're doing this, and also because it's October.
1: Indeed, I do. I do love this book, although. I was thinking about it, uh, like, why do I love this book? And uh, I think it is is a lot tied to like the times in which I have read it more than it is about the book itself. But also I love how weird this book is. It is such a weird book. So I've read this book three or four times um, and they were all in these like classroom settings where I just felt really like intellectually engaged. So the first one was like in high school in this advanced English class where I was with all my friends and we had a really awesome chat about the book and how weird it was. And one guy compared the book to one of those really fuzzy little dogs where it's it's really fuzzy. And then when you pour water on it, it gets really tiny. And he's like, the fuzzy part is all the descriptions of mountains. And the <laughs> tiny little dog part is the actual important stuff of the book. And I was like, that's very funny. <laughs> Not wrong. But then I, I read it in a, a first year seminar class in college, which is one of those classes where it's like your first th- your first class in college, and you're just feeling like so excited to be there. And with all these people who are also excited about learning and Um, And then I read it in my senior year of college in a class where we talked about the, like, first novels and, like, weird narrative structure in novels. And this book has the weirdest narrative structure. Like, it is a story within a story within a story, and you have all these unreliable narrators and just bizarre stuff. And that, that I think, is the part about it that I like it so much is that it's so strange Um, and that the, like – popular depictions of it the movies and all of that like just do not get at how strange it is
0: oh that was that was a good uh defense i would say (laughs) of frankenstein no because i'm sure that getting that into the text like that always makes you kind of like something Mm -hmm. more if you like spend a lot of energy on it yeah so no that that
1: explains some things and
0: i'm interested in what you have to say about these books that we have
1: Yes. So um, the first book I want to talk about is one that uh, I talked about on the podcast a couple of years ago now. Like we've been doing the podcast long enough that I can say that, which is fun. Um, and it's called Mary's Monster, Love, Madness, and How Mary Shelley Created Frankenstein by Leila Judge. And it is an illustrated biography and verse about Mary Shelley and the experiences that led her to write Frankenstein. So it's uh, for a YA audience and it's a beautifully illustrated, it's got these beautiful black and white watercolor illustrations, and the whole thing is told in free verse. Um, So it's poetry, and um, so it moves along really quickly, but it also really does an amazing job, I think, of picking out the most important pieces of her biography, and how they tied back into the story that she tells in Frankenstein. So yes, like, she wrote this novel on a dare as a ghost story contest with her husband and a friend and all of that other stuff, but the pieces of the story, the things that make it resonant, all came from her early life. She was a person who, by the age of 19, had been disowned by her family. She was living in scandal with this married guy, and she had lost her baby daughter just days after her birth. She also had lost her mother very tragically when, like, she was born, and just so they had all this, like, darkness, right? And this book really gets at how those things affected her story. So the prose is really evocative. It's really well-sourced, I remember. It's, um, there's a huge list of citations for other reading in the back and gives some context about her biography. So I really think it's a good starter point if you just kind of need the, the overview of it, and then you can kind of dive into other places from the bibliography. So it's really great. Um, I love this one a lot. It's Mary's Monster, Love, Madness, and How Mary Shelley Created Frankenstein by Leela Judge. Oh, gosh, what was I reading that was really emphasizing that
0: she had lost a baby for like really close to writing Frankenstein? Mm. I just remember like not being aware of that. And then it made a lot of like, it's one of those things, right? Where, yeah, like the the novel is it lives apart from the author, etc. But knowing some biographical details about the author can mm-hmm. also really um, add some color to the text in ways that you might not otherwise have, have seen it. So, um, yeah, gosh, that is... Um, she had an interesting life. And on, on which topic? My pick is uh, Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon. This is that fairly recent dual biography that came out. It's got hot pink text on the cover. It's very striking. So if you are like, oh, gosh, I really want to read a biography of 18th century groundbreaking feminist Mary Wollstonecraft, but I'm (laughs) also very interested in learning about her daughter, Mary Shelley, acclaimed novelist, then just one
1: book. That's all you need. (laughs) That's a very particular sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Look, that would work on me. Um, So... Mary Wollstonecraft wrote Vindication of the Rights of Woman, which was basically saying you need to educate women. You can't just not educate them and then say, well, they're too stupid to do life, so why would we give them rights? She also was like, you know, let them exercise. That's why they're weak. <laughs> And it's, anyway, sorry, it's, it's not shocking. funny. It's very serious. So, um, so she wrote Vindication of the Rights of Woman. It, it was very uh, generally groundbreaking and then um, died in childbirth with uh, her daughter, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. So who then, you know, gave the world Frankenstein. They're really interesting because they're also, you bridge this, and this book talks about it. So you have the Enlightenment, and you have the Romantic Age. I'm doing hand gestures, which I'm really sad that you all can't see. But (laughs) the Enlightenment, right, is all about reason. And so Mary Wollstonecraft's book and writings are very, like, trying to persuade you with logic and facts. And then Mary Shelley is all about fear feeling <laughs> and um mm-hmm. creating an atmosphere and a little bit about science but when you read frankenstein as i did as we just talked about the whole actual science behind how the monster was created is not talked about at all
1: no they just a glass over it it doesn't matter <laughs> doesn't matter. We accomplished it somehow. So, um, <laughs> it basically
0: uh, goes in between uh Revolutionary France. It was a, right we're talking again same time period, 1790s because uh the French Terror was 1793, I think. So that was right the year after Vindication of the Rights of Woman. So that all of that is happening. Like Europe is in this revolutionary blah and She's writing this book. And then Mary Shelley, then you go to Victorian England, which is different. So you also like she mentions the men in their lives. So this includes Percy Shelley, the poet uh, who I like to call because his name is Percy Bish Shelley. I like to call him PB Jelly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) your close personal friend
0: <laughs> um i just think if he lived now that's what people would call him and then true. um lord byron who who doesn't like hearing about lord byron and then william godwin who is the father of mary shelley so again if you uh, are interested in a book with a great cover and a dual biography of two fascinating women um that is romantic outlaws the extraordinary lives of mary wollstonecraft and mary shelley by charlotte gordon
1: Excellent. I keep meaning to pick that one up, and then I—it's one of those books I, I really want to read, and I keep not making the time to do it. But it—it it sounds awesome. It's really good. All right. So, although we just said that in Frankenstein, the science is sort of uh, this actually—I <laughs> was making a little like hand gestures there of like you know waving away. Like I don't, could don't hear look, them. Like just yeah, with good. your sound effect, that was perfect. This is, this is this episode's off the rails, but it's good. It's fine. So my second pick is uh, The Lady and Her Monsters, The Tale of Dissections, Real Life Dr. Frankensteins, and the Creation of Mary Shelley's Masterpiece, uh, which is a book that came out back in 2013. And so this book looks at the times, the science, and the real-life horrors behind the book. So um, the author looks at how uh, the, the time of the writing, the intersection of the Romantic Age, and the Industrial Revolution – the book is inspired by actual scientists. So there's, although the science in the book is sort of glossed over, there's actually, there was science happening at the time that is related to the idea of like reincarnation and using electricity to bring people back to life and really trying to understand how human bodies work and how we could bring them back. And so This book is all about that science and so it kind of jumps back and forth between talking about scientists and experiments that they were doing and then a little bit about Mary Shelley's biography and so like how old she was at certain times and how she might have like heard about or understood these things. And then goes back to the scientists and kind of jumps back and forth talking about how these things kind of played into each other. And so there's there's stories in the book about grave robbers and really gross and gruesome experiments uh, and research about human reanimation and how they started trying to do it with frogs. And so just kind of all about the different ideas that were percolating around Mary Shelley as she was a child and a teenager and then as a young woman writing this book and how a lot of... Her own biography, but then also like the science and discussions and intellectual um, work of the time is also embedded into the book and the story. So it kind of gives more of that uh, science y side of things. So, The Lady and Her Monsters, A Tale of Dissections, Real Life Dr. Frankensteins, and the creation of Mary Shelley's masterpiece. Have you seen The Frankenstein
0: Chronicles on Netflix? I have not. So, I think that's what inspired me to read Frankenstein finally because it's so it's starring Sean Bean. (laughs) And uh, Mary Shelley is a character, which is why I bring it up. But it talks a lot about kind of the more science. So they talk about um, galvanization, which is sort of like what the frog thing that you were talking about. And then can I call them the galvanic sciences? Because that's what I want to do. Do it. And it also, though, talks a lot about the vivisection debate that was happening about whether or not it should be legal. In England. And so I thought that that was fascinating and kind of gives more of that scientific context to mm-hmm. to Frankenstein. Or you could just read this book that Kim just recommended, The Lady and Her Monsters. Okay, last uh, Mary Shelley book, unfortunately, there are a lot more. So but we couldn't get to all of them. Mary Shelley, Her Life, Her Fiction, Her Monsters by Anne K. Mellor. It's came out in 1990. I am reaching back. You might ask why. Okay. So a lot of books written around the same time are going to have a similar tone. Not like exactly a similar tone, but they're going to be influenced by kind of prevailing trends and all this stuff. So I thought it would be interesting if we went back a little bit in time. Mm, So uh 1990, terrifyingly enough, is 30 years ago. I know. But so what uh, Ann K. Miller is a professor of women's studies and literature at UCLA. And she wrote this book as a basically a feminist analysis on the life and works of Mary Shelley. So it's not like a straightforward just like biography. It's like, let's look at her life and not all of her works, but like, you know, some of the bigger ones, uh, through this particular lens. And this is covering, um, again, her life from 1797 until 1851. One of the interesting things that I noticed right from the bat is that apparently Mary Shelley always signed her name after her marriage as Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Really? Huh. Yeah, and William Godwin, her dad, would write her and, like, and call her MWS. So she was, like, Ann K. Miller in the book was, like, I'm going to be referring to her as Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley in this book because that is how she wanted to be known, which I was, like, that's awesome. That's what women later in the 19th century started mm-hmm. doing. Like, the reason that you hear about, like, Susan – well, I don't know about Susan B. Anthony, actually, but Elizabeth Katie Stanton, Mary Church Terrell, like, all these women in the suffrage movement – had three names because they were also using their mother's name cuz they were like that is huh. valuable. So Mary Shelley was doing it earlier. I'm just I'm just saying.
1: <laughs>
0: so it it has a few chapters on Frankenstein and it's it's definitely like if you're just in a really nerdy mood and you're like I want to get into like an academic text looking at this from this feminist lens. Sometimes you're just you just got to do that. And it's nice because then you're like, wow, I feel like I'm really taking stuff in. The only caveat I will say with this book is that um, online, it seems to be approximately $170. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why. (laughs) But um, so see if your library has it because that seems like a good bet. So again, that is Mary Shelley, Her Life, Her Fiction, Her Monsters by Anne K. Mellor. That's M-E-L-L-O-R.
1: Excellent. That's a really good addition to sort of the other books we talked about. Because, like, yeah, I think... I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me about this book is that there are so many different ways that you can come at looking at it. And each of the ways that you can look at it will give you something different. Like it's it's impressive when a book can do that, when it can stand up to so many different lenses and so many different kinds of criticism and so many explorations. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. That happened. Um, I did that with The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton in college. You can read that
0: book through yeah. like 50 different lenses.
1: Yeah, exactly. I did that in one class too. We did um, *Weathering Heights*, where you would read them through different like literary theories, and I I think it's impressive that a book that was written by this nineteen year old, kind of as a dare in the middle of this whole situation, like stands up in such a significant way. Like that's one of the other reasons I love it. So, aw, Kim, that's so good. <laughs> so Frankenstein maybe not the greatest book maybe a little boring in parts but uh fun to read about and learn more about i would say <laughs> i agree awesome all right so with that we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh right now uh the book i want to talk about is one that i actually just finished yesterday uh which is ninth house by Leigh bardugo and it's fiction i lee bardugo has written a bunch of ya fantasy books and this was her first adult novel and it's set Uh, contemporary times at Yale. And it is about the secret societies of Yale. And it asserts that the secret societies actually do perform magic, and they do all these rites and stuff. And so the main character of the book is uh, brought into what is called the ninth house. And it's a house that is uh, set to try and um, oversee and administer and protect the people from the magic of the houses to sort of be like a, an overseer of them, basically. So she comes into Yale to do that, but uh, things in her first year go awry in some very dark and scary ways. Uh, and I read it Cause I wanted to read something creepy cause it's Halloween times and uh, it was, it was very dark and it was very hard to read in parts, but it was also super good. And I flew through the last, like a hundred pages last night before I went to bed. Uh, so it was one of those kind of books. So Ninth House, Leigh Bardugo. Is it really long? It's pretty long. I mean, it's maybe 400 pages.
0: Oh, that's okay. Does it read like, like, does it still read like YA or does it seem more like uh, adult fiction?
1: Oh it's it's definitely more adult. I think the prose is is not like the prose is pretty easy to read but like the things that happen in the book there's a lot of trigger I mean trigger warnings for like drug abuse and murder obviously. Mm-hmm. Um abuse and various like there's a lot of really dark stuff in there so it definitely leans more adult um in that respect.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, I mean, I was recently thinking of picking that up and that was a good little summer. I had literally no idea what it was about. I was just like, that cover looks interesting. So um, that sounds great.
1: I will say it starts out slow. Like it, it kind of drops you into the middle of this mystery and it's very unclear what is happening. And so I started it, I think... Th- three different times this year and this was the time it finally stuck and I got through the like slow part until I finally understood like ah yes okay this is what is actually happening now so it starts a little slow I think or just confusingly that's a good tip because yeah
0: having expectations and then being like I just don't understand at all what's going on now uh, (laughs) can just ruin the reading of a book okay I actually picked this up today I went to my my local comic shop um, to pick up a comic issue. And then I was like, well, I don't want to just buy one issue of a comic that feels bad. Um, so I got the Incredible Women of the All American Girls Professional Baseball League by Anita Oruk, which is like, I mean, it's a league of their own, but talking about the true story of it, so it's nonfiction. But also done Anita Oruk is also a um a cartoonist and illustrator. And so a lot of it is like a lot of sort of cartoony things illustrating the stories told she interviewed a lot of the former players of the AAGPBL is the current acronym for it. Um, And it's I'm really looking forward to getting more into it. And I know that the TV series, actually, I don't know if it's still coming out, is it? Because I don't know if filming was interrupted.
1: I don't know either. But it's gonna happen eventually, I hope. The face I made when you started talking about this, I was just, uh, that sounds so amazing. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to get into this. And it seems like a pretty easy read, which is nice for the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm also excited about the TV series because it looks way more inclusive than the movie, which is going to be like, so the movie, which is already great, is going to be made like even better. I have maybe really high expectations for the TV series. (laughs) um and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and our amazing audio editing for this episode is done by jen Zink.
1: thank you jen And if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.